And over time, more and more of their time was spent in the clubhouse and less and less was spent out rescuing and helping others. Until finally they got so, so focused, so inward focused that the whole mission of rescue stopped completely. And then over time, because the real reason for their being together, the joy and the adventure of using their giftedness was no longer in use, people over time began to leave the club until finally there was no one left and they shut their doors. Now, now that's just a legend and it's just a story, but I believe it is a good allegory for the Christian church in America. You see, several hundred years ago, 90% of the people in this country attended church regularly. But more importantly, they were out in their communities. Centuries ago, there was people going out, helping others, pouring themselves into marriages, helping families, giving on themselves. And over time, these churches began to develop. And over the years, many years, they began to build these great big churches. And those churches became more and more comfortable and more and more turned inward. And more and more of their resources and their time became all about making themselves comfortable and spending all their money on themselves. And just like in that legendary, mythical, life-saving mission up in the New England, because it got turned inward, there was no more sense of adventure. And the doors of churches began to close. And so today, as we sit here today, statistics show that only about 20% of Americans spend a Sunday in church. And over 1,000 churches a week are closing their doors. Why is that happening? And my response is, is we become turned inward. We've had what the military calls mission creep. We've lost focus on our mission. So you may remember about two years ago, the people of Rock Hills got together and said, how do we believe that God wants us to express our faith into the city of San Antonio and into the world, as, as Jock was talking about earlier? And what we realized is the way God has gifted us, the best way we can express express our faith in the city of San Antonio is, is summed up in what we called one-on-one. So we gave out one-on-one cards. This was two years ago. And, and as we got and started talking, we began to realize that just like any other organization, mission creep can happen. Good leaders begin and remind people of the mission, remind them of the reason for their existence. And so we decided to teach through one-on-one again uh, this year, Last week, Dave began uh, the teaching, and if you look at the card that's in your seat, you'll see that one side of the card is how you can connect more fully with God, because that's the first step in our mission. And the second is how, once you're equipped, just like those maritime folks up in New England, once they were equipped with giftedness to help others, once you're equipped by your time with God, then you can go out and be part of what he's doing in the world. And, and, and it's really a summary of when Jesus was asked in Matthew 22, someone asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the second is like it. Love others as yourself. And all of the law and all of the prophets can be summed up in these two commandments. What he's really saying is you can take the whole Bible and sum it up in loving God and loving others. And that's really what what one-on-one expresses, and it breaks down some steps. And what our goal is, 
is to be reminded and re-energized on our mission. And Jesus gave us the clearest example of our mission. I think we have that scripture in Matthew 28, 10, or excuse me, 28, 18. And this is what Jesus said just before he left this world. He said these words to his people. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, go out these doors and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do everything I've commanded you. And this is an amazing promise. Truly, I will be with you even to the end of the age. Do you want to have meaning in life? Do you want to go on the greatest adventure you've ever been on? The greatest adventure you'll ever experience is doing something with God, going with God. And and one of the reasons mission creep has set in with, with the American church, one of the reasons they seem to be so dead is they're no longer going and making disciples. When you do that, Jesus is with you. And how can you help but be energized and excited by that? And, and part of what we could do as part of this series is, is hire some great motivational speaker to, to, to come in here and give you a rah-rah speech to go out. Let's do it. Let's work. Let's work. And, and a great football coach once said, you know, halftime speeches are great until the first time in the second half somebody knocks you on your butt. And then what happens is you go back to your training and what you've practiced. And so we could, we could get a motivational speaker in here, but that energy, that, that motivation will be very short-lived. So how do we sustain the energy? How do we sustain the focus to be part of going and making disciples? How do we do this one-on-one? So Dave began last week with having intimacy with God. And today, we're taking another step. And what I want to suggest is the way we sustain that energy long-term, the way we become equipped so that we're skilled enough to go help rescue people is by staying connected to the Word of God. And so the third item on that scripture, on, on that card, is to remain in the Scripture. And that is the Bible. And that is why if you come to Rock Hills each and every Sunday, you're not going to hear self-help messages. You're going to hear from the Word of God because it is the most important thing we can teach. You know, and and the Bible obviously has has come under attack in our society and our culture, hasn't it? And there was a time as an atheist when I laughed at the Bible. It was a bunch of myths and legends, so I had to study it. I studied for over a year how it was put together until finally I was so convinced I put my faith in it. And part of me wants to stand up here and defend the Bible, give you intellectual arguments for the Bible. But then I remember what Billy Graham said, and I love this statement. He said, you don't need to defend the Bible. That's like defending a lion, Who needs to defend a lion? Just let him out of the cage. A lion can take care of himself. And that is what I've experienced about this Bible. I don't need to defend the word of God. All I have to do is let it loose in your life. And I guarantee you, you will see something amazing happen in your life. But you know, the greatest spokesman for the Bible is a man named David. And what we're going to do today, as we we go through this, this series uh, of messages where, where we remind ourselves of our mission in one-on-one, we're going to look at Psalm 19. Because David wrote Psalm 19. And let me remind you about David. He was a little shepherd boy. He was the son of Jesse, the youngest son. And he just was out in the wilderness all the time, basically studying and knowing the word of God. 
And he rose to the greatest heights that you can imagine on this earth. He rose to be king of Israel. And at that time, in the year about 1000 BC, Israel was the greatest nation on the earth. And he was the king. Now that's even more powerful than being a president or a prime minister of a country. And here's the reason, there's no legislature. There's no Supreme Court. There's nothing. When you are the king, whatever you say goes. And so David had all the wealth of the world at his disposal because he was the king of the wealthiest and most powerful nation on earth. And you would expect him to say, the greatest thing in the world is is being king. The most powerful thing is having an army at your disposal. The, The most amazing thing is having all the gold and wealth in the world like I have. And that is not what he says. Let's hear what David talked about. This is Psalm 19, beginning at verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where the voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Now, this is what we call general revelation. Now, Dave touched on this last week, you may remember. General revelation is the fact that God has revealed his truth throughout the world. Like this, like the psalm says, there is no place on this earth, no nation where this language, where this speech has not been heard. The darkest jungles of Africa, the the Amazon rainforest, you know, the Arctic and the Antarctic, no matter where you go, God is proclaiming his reality and his truth in the world through general revelation. But God loved us so much that he did even more than that. He gave us what's called more specific revelation through his word. And now David talks about that. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, now remember the flow of thought of this message, okay? We want to be about the things of God. We want to go on this exciting mission called the Great Commission, where through our very lives, we impact the city of San Antonio. Through the very way we live, through our one-on-one connections at work and, and in recreation and other places, we help rescue people from the darkness of this world. And God wants us to be involved in that. And so how do we sustain that commitment? How are we equipped with it? By staying in his word. And now we're going to hear all the characteristics of his word that David talks about and all the motivations that I hope you have to study the word. See, if you don't believe the word of God, 
You're not going to read it. You're not going to study it. And that's why I wanted you to hear what David has to say about it. A guy who had everything else he could have gone to. But here's what he is saying about the word of God. And he says this to begin. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. I love that phrase, reviving the soul. You see, it's just been the last hundred years or so where healthcare professionals have have understood this phenomenon that they call the hardening of the heart or the deadening of the soul, that somehow people can live in such a way that they begin to lose feeling, they become numb. Perhaps the most tragic examples of this of, of women who have been forced into the sex industry, whether it's pornography or prostitution. Occasionally, one of those women will be rescued from that horrific life, and they will say, the only way I survived, the only way I could, I could make it through each day was I had to just let my soul die. I hardened my heart. And what I want to suggest to you is I believe that's what happens whenever we are living separated from God. Whenever you are living in a, in a sinful lifestyle and, and not living in the, in the, in the walking in the ways of the Lord, I believe that happens to you because I saw that in myself. I didn't do anything horrifically bad. There was nothing uniquely bad about Al Hassar. What I was doing was I was living, going after, and worshiping the gods of this culture. And the gods that this culture was offering me for the first 37 years of my life was pleasure mainly through you know, sexual promiscuity and, and, and substance abuses and money and approval and power. And I drank of those things. And, and they simply, they didn't satisfy it. And I kept thinking, I'm losing feeling. There's got to be more to life. And, and this was in the 70s and 80s. And there, one of my favorite songs during that time was a song by the Eagles called Desperado. And it had this refrain in there that talked about this this what happens? And it says, don't your feet get cold in the wintertime? The sky won't snow and the sun won't shine. It's hard to tell the, lifetime, the nighttime from the day. You're losing all your highs and lows. Ain't it funny how the feeling goes away? I thought, that, that's my life. It, it just seems gray all the time. There's no more highs or lows. The feeling is going away. Is there anyone here today feeling a little like that? What I want to say to you is, don't don't you want joy? Don't you want hope? What, What David is saying is, there's something that can revive your soul so that you can feel again, so you can feel joy and life and energy, and it is the Word of God. The Word of God is perfect, reviving the soul. Second thing it says here is the statutes of the law are trustworthy, making wise the simple. What, a, what an incredible promise. Something is trustworthy. To me, that, that is so precious. I don't know what to trust in this world anymore. Do you trust the internet? <laughs> I mean, I, I do some marketing uh, and advertising for my law firm, and so I, I read about that. And, and I was recently reading that the average American is subject to over 200 advertisements and promotions during the course of each and every day whether it's TV commercials or billboards or, you know, I'll, I'll be rocking along on Facebook and, and somebody will have a link to what I think is some article. And it's like, oh, that sounds interesting. I want to read about that and learn. And about partway through, I realized this isn't really a news article. This is a, an advertisement. It's an infomercial. I'm so angry about that, right? And, and, and we become jaded 
and cynical. What do we trust? Everybody seems to have an angle. Everybody seems to want something, and, and it, isn't, it isn't just simply isn't trustworthy. So to know each and every day I can get up and go to a trustworthy source is something that I find incredibly valuable. And, and the other thing that that verse says, it's the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. You know, um, this, this culture we live in, for whatever reason, highly prizes academic excellence. And, and I, I don't want this to come across wrong. I really believe that the Bible teaches each and every one of us has been given gifts by God. I know the Bible teaches that. Everyone in here has been given gifts by God. And, and you can't take any credit for that. That's just a gift from God. And, and early on, it became obvious God had given me a good mind, and, and he had gifted me academically. So I was right at the top of my class at every level, whether it was high school or college or law school, right at the top of my class. So the world said I was great, and I thought I was hot stuff because the world said I was. But you know what? I was a simpleton. Because there's, there's light years between intellectual and academic knowledge and wisdom. And I had zero wisdom. I had plenty of academic knowledge, zero wisdom. All you had to do was look at my life. I mean, I'm this brilliant guy, right? I'd been through one marriage and one divorce. I was, I'd just moved out, was about to divorce my wife, Jan. I had a daughter by my first marriage, a young, a young daughter that I didn't know how to be a father to. I, 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 I was a terrible father. I had no friends in the world. I was angry, bitter, cynical. The genius that was Alhasser wasn't doing too well. It's because I had no wisdom. And what this is saying is, do you want wisdom? Wisdom is the most precious commodity on this earth, and you can't get it from a book. Facts and knowledge are cheap. We, we now have Google, right? We, facts are real cheap. Wisdom is something precious. So study the word of God and you will get wisdom. And the next thing it says is, the, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. They're right. You know, I'll be blunt with you. In my 30s, I was an arrogant jerk. But there was a reason for that, believe it or not. Because in my mind, it just seemed logical. It's like, okay, is anybody else on this earth going to wake up and say, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to make Al Hassler happy. No. And so my logic was, there's one person on this earth whose goal is going to try to make me happy, and it has to be me. So I became a self-absorbed, self-centered, arrogant jerk. And that wasn't working. So after I became a Christian, and after I'd studied how the Bible was put together and believed in the Bible, I very reluctantly started reading the Bible. And all of a sudden, I saw this weird stuff, stuff like, be nice to your wife. It's like, this is crazy talk. Be nice to your wife. Are you kidding me? It's her job to be nice to me. You know, be loving and generous to others. It's like, really? Others? Who's going to take care of me? But you know what? I very reluctantly and very hesitantly started doing that. And guess what? God was right. What a shock. The words of the Lord are right. They do give joy to the heart. I began for the first time in my life to feel joy. And you see, there seems to be this underlying thought in our culture, and I know I had it, that God's whole focus, God's whole existence, what he loved more than anything else, was to look down on us and see anybody having fun and stop them from having fun. And so the words of Jesus became very precious to me. A couple of the verses, John 10.10. 10. 
Jesus says this, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Isn't, aren't, aren't there just wonderful words? Don't, don't they just blow that presupposition out of the water that somehow God wants to stop us from having fun? And, and even more precious to me, probably as, as, as I, I value these words of Jesus as much as anything, because I'm a hedonist, and I, I don't want joy and pleasure in my life. And it's John 15, 10 and 11, and Jesus is talking, and he says this, If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. What an incredible promise of God and and of Jesus. And I've just lost my place in here, but I will find it again because I can find find Psalm 19. It's one of my favorites. And here it is. And, And so the next thing this says is, the commands of the Lord are radiant, given light to the eyes. It's this idea that Jesus is the light of the world, okay? We all love the, the hymn Amazing Grace. And one of the great lines in Amazing Grace was, I once was lost, and now I'm fine, found, was blind, but now I see. This is a difficult journey we're on, folks. If you are blind, whether because you, you can't see a physical defect or, or there's no light somewhere, it is a tough journey. I was blind. I was in the dark. I was bumping into things. I was falling off cliffs. This is a long, difficult journey of life. And with no light, I was making a disaster of it. And, and to know that, that I can study the word of God and get light and radiance and Jesus' promise, I am the light of the world, is the truth. And so I finally have light in my life, and it's making this, you know, I, I, don't, I, I still misstep occasionally, but it becomes far, far fewer times. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. You know, I have a, a daughter and a son here today and a grandson, and, and God has blessed my business. And, and everybody here, all you have to do is spend a week in Honduras, and I promise you, you realize that we are, everyone in here is incredibly wealthy. All the people down here, down there live in a, a house about the size of this stage, dirt floors, basically made out of sticks and mud. Everyone in here has incredible amounts of gold in their eyes. My question to you is this. If you could leave your child one thing, a bunch of money or wisdom that will give them rich relationships and deep joy and satisfaction, and you could only pick one, which would you pick? There's none of us that would pick the money. We'd all give that other thing. If I could only leave one thing to my children, my grandson, it would be the word of God because it's much, much more valuable. By, by following God's word, it is better than having gold. It, it will lead them into the path of life. And then it says this. It says, who can discern his own faults? Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. One of the great things about the word of God is it shines a spotlight and you see your faults. I mean, I thought I was an amazing guy. Darn near perfect. I really did. And then I began to read the word of God. And, you know, the truth of the matter is human beings have an unbelievable ability 
to self-delude, to, to be delusional about yourself. And one of my favorite examples of this is uh, several years back, they did, a, they did a study. And they went around, they, it was a massive study. They asked like a thousand people, do you think you are an above average driver? 92% of the people said, yes, I am an above average driver. Now look, I don't have a PhD in statistics, but I think it's probably not possible for 92% of the people to be above average, Right? But that's just a very simple example about how we think we're brilliant, how we think we're great. And the word of God has helped me. It's directed me. It's shown me my shortcomings. And that is a precious gift, folks, to see my errors of my ways. And And the last thing I want to talk about is just before that. By them, by these precepts, and this is verse 11, is your servant warned by knowing them it is great reward. And this is the image that, that in the journey of life, there's many roads we can take, right? And what God is saying is over time, if we study his word, he will warn us away from the roads and the paths that lead to heartache and pain. And he will direct us down the paths that lead to joy and satisfaction. And this is really where we kind of come full circle now. Because isn't that really what mothers try to do? Over many years, mothers are continually guiding and directing their children. And the deepest desire of their heart is direct their kids away from heartache and pain and toward the paths of joy and satisfaction and fulfillment. I know that each and every person in here would love to honor their mother in a special way because they've done so much for them. But I think I have probably the highest motivation of anyone you can imagine to honor my mom today. And, you know, when I think of my mom, I hope you don't think this is disrespectful. My biological mom died 12 years ago. And she was a good mom. She did her best, but she was always working. She never spoke about God to me. We never once went to church, never heard the God, word God talked about in our, our house. Uh, she was always doing her own thing. I never really felt loved until about 35 years ago. God brought the best mom into my life that I can imagine. And you all probably know her as Iris. And, and I know... She's being, feeling very uncomfortable right now. She didn't know I was going to do this. But what this represents, what this really represents, moms, is how unselfish you've been for so many years, how you've labored and toiled with no thought for reward, with no thought of getting honored. And, and Iris has done that. Mom, I don't even think of her as Iris. I just call her mom. And I know you, she'd be happy if everyone called her mom. She's the quintessential mom. And, and I know her son, her biological son, Troy, would love to be here in person and, and his wife, Gwen. But they have sent a, a little bouquet that I think Jan is going to present. And, and we want to honor an incredible mom. And Iris, you have been an unbelievable mom. When, when I was not living well, when I was being selfish and mistreating her daughter, when I convinced Jan to move in with me, even though I knew 
that was against everything Ira stood for. I remember driving up to go see her in Dallas and thinking, this is the longest drive of my life because I'm going to get nothing but judgment and condemnation. And what I got was love and encouragement and the love of a mom. And mom, I really believe with all my heart, so many people had talked about Jesus to me. You lived Jesus to me. And because I saw Jesus in you, I put my faith in him. And that is a debt, an eternal debt that I can never repay. So thank you. John 1, 4. I have no greater joy than to know my children walk in the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Mom. There's, there's one other group that we haven't recognized today. I, I was really surprised as I did some research Over 30% of the women in this country have, and I'm sure it was the most heartbreaking decision they've ever had to make, have terminated a pregnancy. And I'm sure it was, they felt it was the best decision for that little life that was inside them. And and so since I know that the statistics are over 30%, that means it's almost inevitable there's some women in here who have made that unbelievably gut-wrenching decision. And I have to be honest with you, I believe that violates God's law. I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat that. But I violated God's law earlier this week when I got angry with Jan. I don't believe there's a, a rating system for sin, that, that there's X-rated sins and R-rated sins, and, and somehow there's these big, huge, humongous sins that God can't forgive, and then there's little sins that he can. That isn't the truth. What the Bible teaches is that the death of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, covers all sins. So if you are one of those women that made that unbelievable, difficult choice, I want to speak a word of grace to you today. The Bible says and teaches that if a child dies before the age of responsibility, that child will be in heaven. So now, no matter what you've done, if you put your faith in Jesus, you are made right with God, you will be reunited with your father, and you will live a life in heaven with that child. You see, some people think that we live in the land of the living, and somehow we're going to the land of the dying. That's exactly wrong. That's opposite. We live in the land of the dying, and we're going to the land of the living, the land where it says we will know as we should be known, where we will finally see as we should should see. You will know that child if you put your faith in Jesus. And on this Mother's Day, the people that live out the gospel most fully are moms because they lay down their lives for us. And that is just an earthly representation of the good news of Jesus. Because the Bible says that God loved us with a father's heart, just as strong as a mother's heart. But he couldn't compromise his ideals. All he could do was send his son to pay the debt that we owed. 
And if you put your faith in that gift, you are made right with God and you will be with him forever in heaven. On this Mother's Day, the most amazing thing I can talk about is the greatest act of love this universe has ever seen. The Father's love in giving his son for us. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, why not today? Thank you.